OWS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes. What's going on? Hilo again, again with Pavel today. We'll bring him in here shortly. But today we are concluding our quick little mini series on best ball. Tonight we're going to be talking about portfolio management. We're going to run over some exposure stuff, some managing your builds, managing variance, and then cap it off with some bankroll management stuff. So all the things that we need to be thinking about from a overall management perspective. Um, that is what we're going to cover tonight. Some things coming up. JM, you have probably seen him tweeting again. I think he tweeted today for the first time since January, February, something like that. Uh, so that was cool to see him tweeting. He is back. He is back from vacation. He is back in the zone. I know he was on quote unquote vacation, but I know he was working diligently while he was gone. Um, he was doing drafts. He was studying uh, teams, studying changes. Uh, so he will be back on the podcast uh, with myself here shortly. Like I talked about earlier, we're going to do our best to get Pavel back in the mix when JM returns. Uh, so that will be quite fun. Uh, as for stuff coming up with OWS, we're going to have a launch of stuff here shortly, uh, including but not limited to some new courses. You should see those popping up here shortly. Uh, I know X has a couple coming out. Myself, JM, we all have courses coming out. Uh, some more articles. Sorry, trying to catch my bearings here. Some more articles also will be coming out. You should see those. Those are going to be more on a trickle as opposed to a set schedule. Uh, but I know over the weekend, we're going to try and get those courses out to you. Um, my article that you should see be seeing first, uh, sorry, my course that you should be seeing first, um, a game theory and best ball course. So that will be hitting the streets here in the next day or two, running the final touches on that before I hit it to the press. Super excited about that one. Kind of goes into a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about here. Uh, so super excited about that one as well. The other course that I'm writing this uh, off season, um, I am writing the theory game and otherwise of roster construction. So again, sticking with those tight themes that we're attacking this off season, uh, best ball and roster construction. That is what is coming up here shortly uh, in the next probably three to four to a week, uh, three to four days to a week. So be on the lookout for that stuff. Um, I will not blow any more surprises, I promise. Uh, but I wanted to throw those couple things out there without further ado. My dude, Pavel, what's going on, man? What's up? What's up, man? Friday night. We're finally done with the work week. <laughs> can maybe relax. Friday night lights, baby. Let's get it. Yeah, and you were just you know touching on some good stuff on the around the site. Uh, Majestic just had an article late round best ball targets with hidden upside, and it's just a really quick article, but it was really good you know thought provoking article. So definitely go check that one out. Yeah, man, shout out to Jess. Uh, actually, I, there was a guy in there that I hadn't thought about that he turned me on to just by reading that article. Um, Van Jefferson, I really like that call. I hadn't thought about him much this off season. Uh, but kind of taking over that semi downfield threat on the Rams um, is going to lead to some spike weeks, particularly with the acres injury. We can expect them to be thrown a little bit more. Uh, obviously with the quarterback change, we can expect them to be throwing a little bit more. So I really like that call. And that was straight from J 
Jess Majestic's new article that hit the site a couple days ago. So check that out for sure. Sick call, bro. Yeah, I was really happy with my uh, Van Jefferson exposure too. And he's not even going up yet. He's still sitting there in the late rounds. So definitely someone we want to target. Yeah, man. I uh, I actually I was was fortunate enough to take part in that Draft Sharks Invitational draft uh, for the second year in a row. And uh, I took Van Jefferson late based off that article. So Yeah, I saw your team. I Basically the, the right structure. One Kelsey and one early running back. Get some good wide receivers. And then I saw your like last six rounds were just a bunch of wide receivers. Nicely done. So uh, Yeah, dude. I think I you hammered. got a good team. Thanks, man. I hammered the basically pretty much everything we've been talking about on the, over the last four podcasts. Um, put it into action there. So stoked about that. We'll see how that goes. Uh, and then, yeah, let's talk about some portfolio management, dude. Definitely. I, uh, like another thing I was mentioning, I went to school for finance and I'm applying this all to fantasy football, not my day job. <laughs> yeah, man, seriously. It's like <laughs> I've got a buddy uh, in the fantasy football sector who is um, basically, I think he has three degrees all in like math. Uh, he's got like a degree in math, a degree in finance, and then like a degree in, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's engineering, but he's got like three huh. college degrees and he uh, plays guitar for a living, like in a band. So that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. 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 So shout out to Todd if you're listening, dude. I uh, love it. Uh, anyway, we digress. Let's continue. We're going to, first thing we're talking about is managing exposure. Um, and you, you think about exposure. What is the field's exposure? Well, there's 12 people in a team. So the field's exposure on a, any given player within reason, you know, until you start getting into those last few rounds where people are taking their flyers, the field exposure on a given player is going to be 8.33% or, you know, one twelfth of the total field. So you start thinking about how I want to manage that. Do I, you start assigning different, I guess, grouping players into different groupings, right? So you have your overweight players, you have your players you want to be I guess your players that you want to be overweight on, not that are overweight themselves. I guess that was a weird way to say that. The players that you want to be underweight on, players you want to be about even the field on, and then I throw in full fades, and we'll talk about how I do that uh, here shortly. Um, I am also constantly checking my overall exposure to ensure that I'm managing that exposure and trying to hit my targets uh, of where I kind of want players to be. How do you kind of tackle exposure management yeah from uh before you know one thing just to step back when you're thinking of exposure too um we're speaking you know as high volume players right so for us it's a little different you're doing three four five six seven drafts get your guys like you know yeah at that point, shots. like that a point like you know stick to your gut get teams that you're going to be happy with because you know i'm going to build teams that i don't like but i'm trying to you know get exposure to the field. So um, I'm pretty much the same way. I have my targets that I really want to be overweight on. I have targets that I want to be underweight on. Curious to hear your fade take because I also have a fade take. So uh, definitely let's hear what your fade take is. I've got a couple in each round and we'll talk about theirs here shortly. Okay. Um, Actually, that's going to lead us right into uh, how I kind of manage my exposure. And I, I break it up into different chunks within the draft itself. So I have my early rounds. So rounds one to five, I have my middle rounds rounds six to 12. And then I have my late rounds rounds 13 to the end, whatever that is, either 18, 20, 35, however 
long the draft should go. But those are kind of the, how I think about the different buckets, we'll say, of how I want to manage my exposure. And then I'll go through and I'll group players, you know, within those specific brackets, um, overweight, underweight, even, and full fade. And yeah. I guess to on for, or to take that one step further, the 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 risk that I'll take or the variance that I'll accept, and that has to do with full fades and, and being overweight because that's additional variance, right? It it changes within each of those different groupings. For the early rounds, my overweight percentage that I'm going to accept being over 8.33% is going to be much lower than when you look at the late rounds, you know, rounds 13 to the end. I'm willing to accept a little bit higher exposure the later I get in the draft. Yeah, I, uh, I'm pretty much the same. I actually break my uh, exposure, you know, I break it out into tiers kind of. So it's kind of this, what we talked about last pod um, is, you know, the tier bases. So after a certain tier of wide receivers, I don't really want to get overweight on. So like after like that Will Fuller, Curtis Samuel, Brandon Cooks tier, that kind of is like a tier break for me. And I really only want, so, you know, so much of them. And then there's that next tier where I'm willing to like push the bill. And then as I get later and later, I, you know, I'm more willing to accept risk. And especially since if you think about it, your seventh, 18th round pick usually isn't going to do much for you. But if you can find that one guy and you have a true conviction, you know, it can really, really be big for you and help set you up, you know, against the, the field. And you want to take some different shots there too. You don't want to, you know, ever be too high. So for me, the most I'll really go on a player is about 30 to 40%. And I didn't touch actually a touch on this when you asked me earlier is, you know, about checking my overall exposure. Um, I check every night and every morning. It is a habit for me now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always watching that and I'm looking by position there. And it's, like, for example, I came to a point where I actually didn't look for it in a couple of days and I was just crushing through some drafts and I was at like 40 something percent Gus Edwards. So I've realized, you know, I need to like step back and I'm obviously like overdrafting him because I could be getting him around later now if I have 40 percent of him. So that's kind of what I do is I'll also adjust my rankings t- so I don't like take players out of line. So if I have some guy that I've been drafting a lot and I'm a little overexposed, I'll drop it under and move some guys up in, in my rankings, too. So then, you know, I'm getting a mental reminder while I'm doing the draft. You know, these guys I want to draft at this point. Yeah, and um, there's some guys I, – I approach the later rounds a little bit different, I think, than you because there's some guys that I – particularly in the wide receiver realm that I am willing to be extremely overweight on. Um, also, some running back cuffs that uh, I'm obviously okay or I want to target being extremely overweight on. Um, and that's the four or five that we've talked about before. You know, you're – your Tony Pollard's, your um, Madison's, yeah, yeah, all the guys that we've covered, your uh, your Latmers, those kind of guys that you know that have the realistic chance to absolutely take over a backfield. Um, so those guys, I'm I'm willing to be, uh, you know, push the envelope a little bit. You know, I I probably am thinking within the you know twenty to thirty, maybe depending on how my overall builds work out, uh, ownership range on those type of running backs wide receivers as well. Um, I want to more or less manage my exposure in the earlier rounds at wide receiver because it carries so much intrinsic variance. Um, and I'm going to do that. How I attack the earlier rounds with managing my exposure is I just basically 
eliminate my full fades from my my field of players and then I will mix and match from there. So that kind of allows me to intrinsically manage my early, I guess, early round exposure to the high variance position. Yeah, I uh, for early rounds, I obviously have some targets that I like more than the others. So I'll go a little higher on them. But I want exposure to most of the higher early rounds, especially yeah. except for landmines, right? So there are some certain landmines that I'm just like, I'm not touching this guy. And if I'm wrong here, I'm wrong here. Yeah. Um, but the way I project them, I feel like they're, you know, they're not worth the cost. And in the worst case in scenario, I feel like I'm still not going to get burnt too bad. So, yeah, um, to, to put that, what you just said, to sum it up in a different way, you cannot be sunk by missing out on a full fade in the earlier rounds. You, it, it almost does not happen, right? You have a much higher likelihood of being sunk by being overexposed in the earlier rounds, uh, particularly at the wide receiver position where we see um, injuries happen at a much higher occurrence. Why is that? Well, these players are going from standing still to, you know, hundred percent effort over and over, you know, 40 to 60 times per game, depending on how many routes they run and what their snap rate is. Um, so that leads to all these soft tissue injuries, the injuries that are unpredictable um, you know, you can talk about injury history and all that kind of stuff, but the injuries that are unpredictable, and I guess side note again on that, when you talk about injury history, it's primarily soft tissue stuff. Your, um, your hammies, your quads, you know, calf injuries. Some people have recurring foot stuff going on, and that's more of, uh, you know, goes into all the way into their like DNA, right? Um, and just kind of how their body holds up to repeated abuse. But Primarily when you talk about injury history stuff, that's soft tissue stuff. So I'm going to, I'm not going to move tears, anybody, anything like that on guys with soft tissue stuff. The injuries that are unpredictable are your knees, your Achilles, your ankles, stuff like that. That's more fluky. Now you can, if you really want to get into the weeds, you can look at where players are playing majority of their games and the surfaces that are on those fields. Injury rates are higher uh, I mean, this is, this is like science injury rates are higher on synthetic materials. And obviously those are getting better and those are getting more natural, but still you talk about, you know, guys cleats getting stuck in synthetic turf and then they're getting hit one way in their knee. That's where you see a lot of knee injuries and, uh, and ankle injuries, guys getting caught up, stuff like that. But, uh, overall, um, you're going to get sunk much quicker and at much higher frequency by being overweight a player in the early rounds as opposed to missing out on a full fade. So yeah, I'm with you there. That was a long-winded answer, and I kind of went on a couple tangents. But um, overall, I'm looking to identify my full fades in the earlier rounds and then manage my exposure accordingly based on what bucket I have a player in if I want to be overweight, uh, underweight, even the field, or the full fade. Yeah. And then in the middle rounds... One thing I do a little differently is I'm usually under on like the tight ends there. I'm usually under on the running backs there because that's like the, you know, quote unquote dead zone. Yeah. And then I'm pretty high on those wide receivers there because that's that usual breakout group, you know, between rounds like five and nine. That's that every year we have two, three breakouts from that group. And I want to take my shots there like Deontay Johnson, Claypool. Tyler Boyd's there, even DJ Chark, whatever you think about him. He's got that alpha potential um, 
Gallup's there. Robbie you know, Anderson. So many, Robbie Anderson, Juju, Curtis Samuel, Will Fuller. Like, that tier has guys that can be a wide receiver one. And the – I'll talk about some of the wide receivers in that, you know, late middle to late rounds area that I am willing to, you know, be massively overweight. We're talking – I'll probably be pushing 30% on a couple of these guys. Um, and that's just because, you know, one, I'm willing to accept a little bit more – variance when it comes to wide receivers in general and in doing so i'm willing to accept a little bit more exposure on some of these guys that i really have identified that you know have a chance to be uh i i don't want to say like breakout because some of them have broken out before but like these guys who have legitimate shots to you know provide a weekly wide receiver two plus uh type score the first one foremost brandon cooks uh, I might have, <laughs> I might be pushing my envelope there with him. Uh, if he keeps dropping based on the, you know, quarterback uncertainty out of Houston, it looks like Watson will not be there regardless. Uh, I don't know if he will play. We'll cover, I guess, how I'm handling that situation here shortly, but even, even if it's Ty God Taylor, um, you know, he has the acumen, the deep passing acumen. He has the ability. He just was basically put under handcuffs with a game managerial role uh, over his last two teams. So we'll see. I, I really like cooks. I like his, you know, ability to be that alpha on the team and provide those, uh, spike weeks along with a, a pretty solid, you know, target market share aided floor there. Other guys I really like, uh, that could pop from this kind of tier Darnell Mooney, um, that chance to be that, uh, you know, legitimate number two on Chicago who really lacks, um, yeah, players with a massive pass game role. You got Corey Davis. I know he's changing teams. Love him. Um, I'll Love be over. Him. Yeah, I'll be overweight. Corey Davis. Yes, he's changing teams. Um, but I really like the attacking that Jets passing game. You know, they shouldn't have much of a run game at all. They do have uh, obviously the new coaching cadre in town. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but he I like is Corey Davis. Way too cheap. Like I project him for half the PR, like for about 170, 175 points. And that is way too cheap. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to just make one point that just popped up in my head. So you talk about, you know, Brandon Cooks. And, you know, the general consensus is, you know, fade bad offenses, right? Like, that's the big consensus. Don't draft players from bad offenses. Like, Brandon Cooks is going, like, ninth, tenth, eighth, ninth round. And that's a bench player, right? So you're not really taking that much of a risk there if you're overweight on him. And, you know, to just, like, make another point, too, is, like, my highest – my highest own – wide receivers uh nico collins mm-hmm. and it's the same thing like we want running back we want those uh rookie wide receivers right everyone's pushing them but this guy's not climbing because he's on a bad offense but they're going to be on a bad team they're going to be behind they're going to have to pass so these two guys can hit you know brandon cooks could easily get over 100 targets right and oh i mean easily dude. like uh, yeah <laughs> how do you not want over 100 targets that late I've... like <laughs> I, you don't want to. I haven't projected for 122 targets, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, so uh, yeah. Nico Collins is that big, what you know, guy that they need in the red zone, and he's mm-hmm. they paid up a lot to get him. Like, you know, there's potential on bad offenses too, which is yep. really the point I was trying to get to. And you, what's more important about that situation is not that they have a bad offense, but they have an atrocious defense. Defense, yeah. 
so they're going to be playing from behind. They have to throw. Like you can't just be giving David Johnson the ball twenty five times down thirty. It's well, I mean, they have mean. they have six running backs that are all RB four. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that's going to play out. I hope um, Ingram gets cut because, like Lindsey Johnson, that's kind of a decent target. You yeah. know, backfield to target. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm obviously fading that backfield entirely but anyway uh, a couple more guys here late um, that I really like Sterling Shepard uh, I did a little Twitter um, thread on him and why I like him a lot Jameson Crowder kind of back to the well type we talked about how he had four <laughs> wide, wide receiver one weeks last week or last season um, even with you know the new bodies in town Elijah Moore uh, and who do they have else Keelan Cole yeah Keelan Cole new bodies in town so um, but I still like him as kind of the safety blanket. You know, they have a new coaching scheme. They have a rookie quarterback. Um, I like that, you know, separation ability uh, in the middle of the field. A um, couple of other guys, these late guys that I'll accept um, some high variance on. I'm trying to up my exposure to Van Jefferson, like we talked about. Darius Slayton along with. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Darius Slayton is that like epitome of a, you know, late boomer bust type wide receiver. He's bound to have three or four spike weeks this season. Um, Slayton just... Shepard, the easiest wide receiver, too, you could get out of your roster. Exactly. Yes. And if you're in a pinch for tight end, throw an Ingram, too. I don't mind that one bit. Anyway, um, I'm ca- dude, what are, you, what are your feelings on Olamide Zacchaeus? I got him. I mean, if he's there, the 17 day feed route, I'll take him to, like, you know, mix up exposure. He's not a bad one. Yeah. Uh, I like MVS a lot. I think he's pretty cheap. And, you know, Rogers, if Rogers trusts you and you know he'll tr- he trusts him. He had some pretty big games. And uh, I remember Todd had uh, his old I don't partner. Know, man. Sorry, his, continue. His old partner, I can't remember his name at the top of my head, but he uh, does his article and he had a really, really good tidbit on MVS. And that got me drafting him. As a Packers, you know, as a Packers fan, you talk about that, uh, you know, chemistry with Rogers between his wide receivers he is not the biggest fan of MBS from really? all, of, all of his drops early career. And MBS has been working really hard to, to earn that back. But even into late last season, into the playoffs, MBS was having critical drops on, you know, third downs. And that really is, that really gets under Roger's skin. So um, I'm a little bit more inclined to side with Lazard there. Interesting. Uh, and that's just, you know, because they're not going to be on the field together much this season um, because the Packers are not going to run any four wide sets. That's just not part of their offense. So, yeah. um, you know, it's going to be Devontae Adams and one of MBS and Lazard. And it's more likely than not in my, I guess, fan opinion that MBS and Lazard kind of work as a, in a split for that wide receiver two role with Cobb coming back to town in the slot. Yeah. I like, uh, Lazard do so sometimes I'll do like an MVS Lazard kind of thing um there's one group of guys we didn't talk about yesterday or our last pod and or the stacking pod and I kind of you know I wrote this down to make sure we bring it up speaking of like you know the Texans you know bad defense playing from behind what about the Lions so you got Tyrell Williams you got Perriman who are two great deep threats Amon Amon St. St. Brown you got Cephas their line is fantastic so Goff will have time to get those, you know, deep bombs out there. Those, I, deep, those deep noodlers? Yeah, I mean, 
if you can get them out there, there's some, there's an opportunity for some big plays. So yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm with you there. Actually, that's another like late stack I'll do, and I'm pretty up on those guys as well. One that I have not seen anybody around the industry uh, talking about that is like I don't know how it's going missed or why people are not doing this, but dude, stacking Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle, like how are people not doing this? Yeah, I love Demarcus Robinson. I have some Pringle. I have a little bit of a. It's not Colin Powell, but I can't, I can't yeah. remember his name. <laughs> it's just I, kind of like how Colin Raheem uh, Mostert Mustard. It's he's Colin Powell. <laughs> I like, I like yeah, that. but they're not bad too, and especially they're a passing offense. Like, why wouldn't you want them? And then before Jacoby, if you're playing on a certain site, Jacoby Myers goes late, so you can do like Myers Bourne. Those are like guys I'm really high on, and Aguilar. Yeah, I like I like Bourne, and I've actually started mixing in some Nikhil Harry where it fits. Um, and that's only that's not eighteen round drafts. That's like twenty plus. Yeah, um, I'll I'll hit up a Nikhil Harry Kendrick Bourne stack. Uh, but yeah, these are some of the guys that I'm willing to accept being, um, you know, over double the field on, uh, and some more than others. Uh, but definitely, I'm not looking to be more than double the field on any of the early round guys. Yeah. There's one guy I'll mention lastly. I am every year like triple the field on him, and that's Michael Gallup. He should now he's up to a sixth yep. rounder, but he was going like eighth, ninth round earlier this offseason. Even in the sixth round, he's a smash. I mean, I want every piece of that Cowboys offense. Yeah, and for better or worse, or for right or for wrong, you know, Amari Cooper has this stigma of being an injury prone guy, yet nobody is really drafting to that mentality yeah. yeah so some something i've been working in is michael gallup cedric wilson uh yeah it's a bunch of cedric wilson in yeah, deeper leagues yeah getting that dallas three four stack just similar to the kansas city and when you when you're venturing into threes and fours on a team as opposed to twos and threes stacking wise um you want to make sure that it's on these high volume high scoring teams as opposed to you know when you're talking about shittier teams in the league you're mostly stacking the two and three definitely yeah there's a couple you know i as you say that you know we were just talking about Bourne and, and uh Aguilar and myers but you know those are like deeper threats too so like you got to look at the type of guy you're looking at are you looking at a guy who's got potential to be you know just like a short target guy like uh adam humphreys or are you getting those guys who are going to get you you know a 460 and a touchdown three times this year because you know they count that big bomb so that's yeah. you know, want to look at the archetype of player you're drafting too Yep, for sure. Love it. Uh, that's pretty much everything I want to talk about, about managing exposure. Um, obviously, I talk, the big thing here is not being more really than double the field on anybody in the first five rounds. Um, oh, let's, let's talk about fades real quick. I'm, I'm only going to talk about you know a couple. I, I really only have a couple from the first few rounds, um, but you want to get into those real quick? Of course. All right, dude, let's do it. Um, We'll start at uh, round one, obviously. Um, some big names that I am actually pulling a full fade on from that first round. Uh, Derek Henry, and that as much as that pains me to say, but he's entering you know his age 29 season. He is, has a lot of tread on those tires, uh, worn down. Um, and he basically, in a full PPR format like DraftKings, um, I'm going to be looking for that full fade a little bit less. So in, you know, I'm just going to look to be underweight in a half PPR setting uh, with the expected volume, obviously, but uh, full PPR, he's a full fade for me in the first who you got. Um, well, I definitely agree with you on Derek Henry. So 
I'm the same way. It has to be Farrell. Yeah, I'll take him. I, mean, I have Camara over him. I have Kelsey over him. Um, so same thing on Henry. Akers was actually one of my bigger fades. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one. Now, actually, I'm trying to look at this. It's not that I don't have anyone I'm really fading in the first round. It's like I love Kelsey. I love Camara. I love Hill. I love Saquon in second round. That's second round, sorry. Aaron Jones, Eckler. I love all, all those guys. Mm-hmm. So yeah, with you there. First, so for me, there's really not really a fade in the first round. And it's more in the second round is where I like start to change. Like Saquon now in this, like early in the first round, I was out on him. I, in the early, early offseason, I was taking him two, three, four. And then we obviously started getting news. I dropped him in my rankings. I stopped drafting him. But now he's going second round. Jonathan Taylor is going second round. Those are two yeah. smashes. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I was I was fading Taylor and Chubb in the first, but now they're same in, here. Now they're in kind of the middle to late second, and if if that's the case, I'll I'll have some shares there. But the first was just was asinine, particularly in full PPR. So how I diversify in the second round is basically I just take what running back falls to me because I know they're going to fall. So I'm early in the draft, if I have like the two, three, four spot, I'm taking Kelsey or Kamara. And then whatever running back falls to me, Chubb, Mixed, whatever. I, I was, you know, we were talking offline about this big dog I did. I started at the two spot with Cook. I had Chubb fall to me, and then I think I got Joe Mixon in the third. Like, so yeah, that that's... doesn't ever happen. But when you get the situation, smash that. That's, like, unique. That's 900 carries. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, that's silly. <laughs> and then you can add David Montgomery in the seventh round sometimes. Wink, wink. Um, but... Truthfully, there's not really any more like big fades. I didn't like taking those wide receivers like Metcalf, Van Jefferson, or uh, Justin Jefferson when they're in like the mid early second because I mean those are getting overpriced now. And you know we've talked about where we like to target wide receivers. Dude, I've I will not have a lot of DK Metcalf this season um, because he's creeping up to Calvin Ridley's <laughs> ADP. Yeah, and is... I can't do that. And I Ridley exactly. and Hopkins are like a tier above him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, this last draft I was in, DK Metcalf went before Calvin Ridley and DeAndre Hopkins. So that's just something that I will not be interested in at all there. So yeah. I, probably won't, I probably won't have a lot of him there. Um, Justin Jefferson, I was fading uh, when he was in the early to mid second. Now with, you know, especially after today, he, he could be falling to the middle of the third sometimes. I got him 3.4 twice today, yeah. Yeah, so that overreaction of, you know, an AC joint sprain, yes, high rate of re-injury, um, but that's something that I'll accept a little variance and bump him up from a full fade where he was going to obviously now, you know, where he's falling, I'll have some shares there. So that's another thing to mention real quick is yeah. that this is all dynamic, right? So it, it depends on opportunity cost entirely. You know, where where you have a player tier-wise versus where they're going ADP-wise. And that's going to be a moving target all offseason. So um, reevaluating and, and adjusting on the fly here a little bit. Yeah, every time you get new information, you need to, you know, check yourself and see what's going on. And I have one more fade action in the second round is A.J. Brown. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not participating in second round A.J. Brown either. Yep, um, agreed. Especially with Julio there. And he's not a... He's not a you know 150 target guy, or and you have Allen Robinson and Terry McLaurin around. He's not a he's he's barely a 110 target guy. Exactly. So that's kind of why I don't like those guys because I I really like you know Allen Robinson and McLaurin in that second in that third round because they have that 120 140 target floor, obviously assuming health and even CD Lamb now. I'm 
I'm really starting to turn on, on CD or Lamb. I, you know, I've been taking them here or there, but with this Cooper stuff, I feel like CD Lamb is really primed to smash. Yeah, I'm I'm much more inclined. I mean, I'll have CD. I'll I'll be underweight CD. I'll just go ahead and say it now. Um, I will have probably double Cooper what I will have CD. Um, and that's just because all, everything out of Cowboys camp so far has been positive for CD, negative for Cooper. So yeah, it's it's increasing. They you know they started the draft season. And Cooper was going before him before CD, and now yeah. CD is going like a round and a half before Cooper. So that is insane overreaction. I'll you know. Amari Cooper is the alpha in that offense. I'll continue uh, smashing that. You know, look, you look at his, his – yes, it was early season last year, but his splits w- with and without Dak uh, were crazy. But... Oh, yeah. And he, if he's fallen to the fourth round, you get, he's an auto smash. Yeah, dude. I just think I, – I don't know. I personally think CD might – like we still can get a little equity out of CD because I think he's going to be a second rounder once those first two episodes of Hard Knocks come out because that's when the casuals will come in and be like, oh, my God, he's so good. And – They'll just start reaching. He's going to be a second. I, I know he's going to be a second rounder soon enough. Yeah, I, I've seen him in the second, which is is troubling already. Oh so. god, yeah, that's um, not anymore. No, he's he's right at that second, third round cutoff. You know, I've seen most of the time. I see him go early third, uh, it, which is still too early for me. Like like today, I took Allen Robinson fell to me because C.D. Lamb went uh, early third, and I was like middle of the third round. I just took Allen Robinson, just fell to my lap. So. I'll take that all day. Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, a reason, too, he's, they've all kind of moved up, too, is, like, that Akers and Thomas injury. You know, that shifted two play. Every one of those guys went up two ADP spots, too. So, yeah, um, it's kind of like if you were drafting early, you got some really nice early leverage now, too. Yeah. Um, second round, I don't really have many fades. We talked about DK Metcalf. I will not – I will be extremely underweight him, uh, particularly going early second to middle of the second um third round we talked about cd lamb as he continues i will be increasingly more underweight him i'm actually going to be underweight terry mclaurin i know you're pretty heavy on him um but that uh washington team they're going to have a top four or five defense this year and i am not into or i guess i'm not buying into fitz magic coming in and just creating magic i think he's uh, he's made some incredible plays like in the clutch, but he is not like a supremely above average quarterback. So um, I'm actually out on most of Washington outside of Antonio Gibson. Interesting. Yeah, that's just, uh, I guess. Yeah, everyone's got their opinion. Yeah, on Fitz. He's, if, uh, he's very polarizing. Yeah, I don't know if that's a hill I'll die on, but I will be extremely underweight uh, Terry McLaurin. Yeah, I'm pretty high on the Washington offense, period. I really like Ron Rivera. I think he he just makes great fantasy teams. He does. He's one of those those coaches that is never going to take a series off. It doesn't matter if they're up by 30 points. It doesn't matter if yeah. they're down by 30 points. He's going to call a game always with the foot on the gas. So that is a plus. That is a boon. Um, but I just am not excited about that offense overall. And they're, they're a little bit deeper offense this year too. So we'll see. We'll see how that one goes. But that's, uh, that's one of my underweight guys there in the third as well. Um, let me see if I have any third-round fades. So in half PPR, don't uh, – so I actually mentioned this on the last pod and I'll you know, mention it again. I, have, I don't draft Swift or Dobbins in the third round, never. Um, especially because on underdog, they're going to fall fourth round all the time. So I just wait until I see them in the fourth round. That's where I have my exposure on them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because like Swift is because with those like Swift is good. I've been seeing going like th- three one now, and I don't want that in half PPR, especially with Lance Lynn <laughs> or not Lance Lynn, Anthony Lynn. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and Jamal Williams there. And yeah. Jamal Williams there. Do you guys like if if in case anyone's forgotten, Austin Eckler was losing goal line carries to Kalen Balage. Um, yeah. I wait to see other, who's what's going to happen to Swift this season, <laughs> and and two other running backs. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Joshua Melly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I, I prefer I prefer Dobbins to Swift um, for uh, the. I think the range of range of outcomes is tilted more towards the upside than Swift. Yes. Um, but I will have both in the fourth. I agree on uh, the fade in the third round. Honestly, I don't understand Dobbins in the fourth, even in the third. The guy is an elite athlete, dra- premium draft capital. It is a rushing offense who has led the league in rushing for whatever years. And there he got rid of Mark Ingram, who had what? like a, I think it was – I looked at this. It was like 60 touches, 80 touches, which you don't think it is a lot. That's a lot because that's only going to go to – Really, to maybe Justice Hill might get a little bit of that, but that's going to Gus and Dobbins, and I don't know in the fourth round. I mean, there's only upside at that price. Yeah, if Dobbins can get up into that 16 to 18 touch per game range, uh, there's going to be many a hundred yard bonus uh, for him this year. So, and he's that dude who can take a simple handoff and bust it like just oh, yeah. like uh, Dalvin Cook would. Like that's kind of what I think of. He's a little bullet. Kind of ETN too. It was just like these little guys that can just bam get you that big touchdown out of nowhere. Yeah, especially on that offense that opens up those gap runs so well. Uh, yeah, that's all I got in the third, man. Um, in the fourth, uh, this is probably going to be super controversial, and I'm putting this out there for the first time. Uh, I'm putting this out into the 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 Twitterverse, the multiverse, whatever, for the first time. So I'm fading Kyle Pitts in the fourth. Uh, that okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> that's, that's polarizing for sure. Um, I know he's probably the biggest fantasy fanboy darling this off season. Um, I'm not betting on extreme outliers. You talk about outliers, like yeah, I'll I'll, I'll take shots. I'm not betting on extreme outliers in the top five. Yeah, rounds. he's the extreme outlier. Yeah. So you that know, said, if, next year all in. <laughs> after he has a shit year, yeah. Next yeah, year, all in. Be, Yep, agreed. So yeah, I'm I'm out completely. He will be a full fade uh, for me. Um, other guys, I'm gonna be underweight. Chris Godwin. That's pretty polarizing as well. Um, we look at the splits with that offense with Antonio Brown versus without. Chris Godwin took the biggest hit to his target market share um, when all three wide receivers were healthy. So barring an injury to either Mike Evans or Antonio Brown. I think Chris Godwin is going to take a pretty significant step back, and that's hard to do on a player of his caliber. Um, but I'm going to be extremely underweight on Godwin. Uh, I like Godwin. I think there's enough volume there for them. They're just going to keep running up the score. Um, personally, for a big, there's two guys like that are completely mispriced here in the, like the fourth round is Montgomery and Sanders, especially in half PPR. Like that's mm-hmm. just dumb. Uh, kind Lock of lock it. Lock yeah. it in a best ball format, extremely mispriced. Yeah, lock, but he's been climbing now. He was like a fifth rounder for a while. That, yeah, I, I would like to say I single handedly brought that up, but 
because <laughs> <laughs> he he was crazy. Um, guys, I'm kind of underweight in the fourth round. Julio Jones, I'm definitely a little underweight on. He's getting that injury prone time, and I'm pretty controversial with my injury prone takes. And you know, I'm gonna. I have some of him, obviously, exposure, but I'm not too in on him. DJ Moore, I'm kind of a little less on, just because I think Robbie's just so good. And, you know, they just flip roles. Obviously, I'm not full-fading him, but if it comes down to, like, you know, Cooper Cup or DJ Moore, I'm probably yeah. going to take Cooper Cup there, you know. Yep. Um, if we go down to, like, so most of the time, like, most of these guys I really like, if when I start to really start making some stands on fades – is in like the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Like Miles Gaskin, I know everyone really likes him. I've kind of faded him. Debo Samuel, I'm off. Uh, he's, he just can't stay healthy. Uh, off on LaVisca Chenault at cost. He, he's, people, he's, you know, the fantasy darling, and I'm not going to lie, he's, he's explosive, he's fun, but he's injury prone. He doesn't stay healthy. I can't invest seventh round capital on an injury prone player like that. I am uh, 100% with you on LaVisca. I might have, I was so overweight on him last year, and I'm going to be almost a full fade this year. Oh, uh, exactly the same. He is priced as the number one in Jacksonville, and in my mind, he's the number three. So yeah, Marvin Jones is probably going to be the one or the two. Yeah, you got Jones and Shark, and then LaVisca is that gadget player. He is... He is the Brandon Ayuk uh, or Debo Samuel, however you want to picture that, of the Jags um, in an offense that is likely going to be run in a similar fashion to that Shanahan offense, you know, a, a coach coming uh, from college. So um, he is that gadget player, but I just don't see the volume, particularly um, in an offense that should be much more spread. Yeah, I agree. Cool, man. Uh, yeah, we anchored down on that longer than I thought we would, but uh, hopefully that was beneficial to some. Uh, anything else One to throw out in the fades? Thing, yeah. Um, depending on what your tournament you're doing, Daryl Henderson is a good or bad play. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing the puppy, brand new ADP, smash him right now because he's still underpriced. He's, I have him projected basically at like a. Not even I'm not even say I Mike Clay because I don't know how to project this one. Mike Clay has him projected around like a third round value, and he's going in the fifth still, so he's a smash. But if you're playing in the best fall mania, or like the the five dollar drafters tournament, um, or DraftKings, or DraftKings, don't draft him anymore because you're you're you got to find the new Daryl Anderson basically. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, and also drafters just dropped a, a new tournament, an eleven dollar. Uh, I think it's twenty five k to first place tournament. So, um, it's a brand new, fresh tournament for everyone to check out. Dig it, and that's uh, that's that's an idea that is going to remain constant as the season or the off season progresses. I guess um, you know these guys that get injuries and opens up value behind them. Um, it is going to depend on you know, how long your contest that you're drafting and has been drafting, because there's going to be teams, you know, that had Darrell Henderson in the 13th, 14th round uh, for the, you know, DraftKings contest that has been open since the beginning of, uh, you know, off season. And you're, you're fighting against trying, uh, you're trying to make up a, a seven, eight, nine round gap by taking him now. So he's a full fade for me on a site like DraftKings as well. Uh, sweet dude. Now I want to talk about managing your builds. So the actual, you know, makeup of your lineup, and we're talking about roster construction. We're talking about how the pieces fit together. 
Um, for me, how I'm handling this is pretty much the first three rounds are going to decide where that roster is going. And mm-hmm. obviously that is something that is, I say loose lipped. That is something that obviously can change because drafts are dynamic environments. Um, but in most cases, those first three rounds are really going to decide how the rest of my draft is going to go. You know, do I start tight end running back wide receiver, you know, with Kelsey in there? Um, do I start running back, running back wide receiver? Do I start three wide receivers sometimes? You know, you never know how it's going to shake out um, going into a draft. And that is something that is dynamic. But typically speaking, or generally speaking, those first three rounds are going to dictate how I attack the rest of the draft. Um, and with that being said, you kind of have to have a, I guess, a mental running tally uh, without, you know, looking at all of the rosters that you've drafted already, but have a mental tally of how your rosters have been turning out. Uh, and that's with roster construction in mind um, and making builds different from other builds. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so for me, my strategy is I want early running backs. So if like, if a guy like Najee Harris, Mixon, CH, those like that that top tier falls in the third round, like no matter what my roster looks like, that's what I'm taking because like that's such a huge leg up on the field. Um, so then you know I'm like my typical strategy: early running back, maybe get that early tight end, you know Waller, Kittle, or Kelsey, and then I want to pound that middle wide receiver, fill out my roster, you know along the way, you know taking pivots if if there's value, and then because then once you get into that like. 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th round, you have those, you know, handcuff running backs we were talking about, those guys with the upside. You know, I want to fill up my, the rest of my roster with those guys, be done with running back by then, grab my tight end, and then finish out with wide receiver. So that's usually, like, my strategy, of, like, in a nutshell. But like yeah. you said, sometimes I'll start off early running wide receivers, and then I have to hit running backs, you know, in that dead zone and then fill it out. So it's like, like you said, it's a dynamic environment. You can never go in with a rigid strategy. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. I cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. Love it. I was just going to say that you're, you're kind of what you were talking about there jogged my memory on something that I failed to cover in the managing exposure segment there. Um, and that's, we know that ADPs are dynamic. So I'm willing to go over my high end on early draft season exposure on players that I expect their ADPs to climb. Um, a glaring yeah. example of that early drafts is CH. I'm going to take so much third round CH right now because he might end up early second come the start of the season or, um, you know, the end of draft season. So, um, and that as he climbs, I'm taking less and less. So I'm getting all my exposure when he's in the third, uh, as he climbs, I will not take any, and that will balance out my exposure. Yeah, definitely. And I was doing the same thing. Like I mentioned earlier in this pod, uh, like, I got up to, like, 40% Gus Edwards because he was going, like, 11th, 12th round. And now I'm down to, like, a 28% because now he's gone. He got up to, like, a 9th, 10th round, and now they're running backs have fallen down again. Um, but, yeah, if there's guys you know are going to climb, like Jacoby Myers, Sterling Shepard, these guys were 17th, 18th round guys. And, you know, I was – they were my highest home ride receivers at one point. Now they've fallen down because, you know, I don't really have to draft them as much because I have that, you know, great, you know, leverage already on the field. Yep. Love it. Love it. Uh, cool. Anything else with kind of managing your builds as you go, um, other than kind of trying to keep a mental tally of, of how you're building rosters? Yeah. So like one thing is obviously the building stacks thing. Everyone's building stacks, right? When you're, you know, when you get 
CD Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, Dak, and Gallup on your team. Like, you're not that unique. You know, other people have that. So think, how can you build that roster later to be unique, you know? Um, and if you have similar starts, because, like, here's something I actually co- consciously have, like, been watching is when I'm, like, the 11th, 12th pick, I've been getting a lot of two out of the three, two out of the four, Eckler, Saquon, Aaron Jones, and uh, Gibson. And then I'm constantly been taking the double stack of Evans, Godwin, or Woods Cup, and then trying to build those stacks. Now I'm trying to, you know, when I'm doing that, I'm trying to think of who's that secondary group of players I'm getting, and I'm trying to mix that up. So I'll build in, like, a, a Steelers stack there, or then maybe get a Bengals stack of luck into that, you know? So it's basically trying to, like, you can have similar starts across the board early rounds, but definitely, you know, diversify the later rounds to make more unique rosters and make sure you don't have the same exact roster in your own portfolio a bunch of times. Yep. Love it. Love it. Love it. Anything else to add there with managing your builds? Nope. All right, man, let's move to managing the variance. We talked a little bit about this uh, over the last two pods actually, but how I am personally managing my variance is I'm willing to accept increased variance on individual rosters and then I'm managing that over my portfolio as a whole. You know, I talk about my portfolio as a whole, and I'm going to talk a lot about this in the course that I'm writing. Um, but when I talk about your portfolio overall, that's all the rosters that you've drafted across all formats and contests. Um, and that, that includes, for me, season-long managed leagues. That includes best ball leagues. That includes you know all these season-long contest I'm throwing into one portfolio. So I will be much more apt to be overweight guys in best ball and then fade them completely in season-long or vice versa, um, dependent on you know my tiers and how it, it shakes out versus ADP. And then you talk about variance on an individual roster. I talked a little bit in the example I gave about this was with the quarterbacks. And the example that I threw out on Twitter today and I didn't give an answer, but I'm going to give the answer here and I'm going to expand on the answer in my course, uh, or I already have actually, but the example I gave today was where would you draft Jalen Hurts and Deshaun Watson if you knew for a fact that they were going to play a full season? And the answers I got were, you know, Deshaun Watson is in the top tier, Jalen Hurts is in tier two, and I agree with that. I would have Deshaun Watson in, you know, the top five quarterbacks, And I would have Jalen Hurts probably around quarterback seven, so the second tier. So knowing that and knowing that we don't know how how many games these two two guys specifically are going to play. And you can throw in the the rookie quarterbacks, but that is a little bit more variance, in my opinion, because there's a little bit more unknowns. We can deduce a little bit more out of Jalen Hurts and Deshaun Watson. Um, But that being said, if we know that we don't know anything about their situation, that makes their range of outcomes enormous. Like they could play four games, like, like worst case scenario is Deshaun Watson goes to Philadelphia and Jalen hurts is not included in the trade. Then Jalen hurts starts for however long Deshaun Watson gets suspended. If he gets suspended and then Deshaun Watson comes in. So that hurts both of them the most best case scenario is that trade doesn't come to fruition. And Deshaun Watson begrudgingly ends up, playing a full season for Houston, trying to up his trade value and Jalen hurts plays a full season in Philadelphia. Now you're getting, if you approach it in that manner, 
you're accepting increased variance on those rosters. You can take that one step further by one, either pairing those two or two on rosters that you take one of those two, only taking two quarterbacks. We talked about this before. People are going to look to manage variance with on rosters that have one of those two guys or the rookie quarterbacks. And you can already be leveraged and differentiated and um, different than the field by just accepting a little bit additional variance on the rosters that you draft with one of those guys by only taking two quarterbacks. You're basically saying, I'm betting on these guys playing more games than the field is giving them credit for. And if that should happen, you're getting a top five or a top seven or a top 12 talking about rookies. Maybe if they start a full season quarterback at extreme discount, and now you're able to build out the rest of your roster and not waste a roster spot on a quarterback that you're taking three quarterbacks to back one of those guys up the way that you manage the variance there, as opposed to doing it on an individual rosters is now you only take, you know, 12% of each of those guys. You know, you're still over the field, but you only take 12%. You do it on two quarterback builds, and then you don't take them at all on other rosters. And now you're managing your variance in that way. So if those guys don't play, and even if you go even the field at 8.3%, those 8.3% rosters are likely dead. But now you have upside and safety by not taking them on any of your other rosters. Hope that made sense. That was huge, a long diatribe there. But what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I'm personally, I am not drafting uh, Watson. So that's kind of my thing there. Um, I definitely agree with your strategy. So, like, you know, I'm not right. Or I, I, I don't know if I'm right or not. Um, so I've been, fa- I've been just fading the Watson situation. Hurts, I've been, you know, I, he's one of my target guys because even if he, you know, doesn't go play for the Eagles, he's going to play for the Texans because I think they would get traded for each other. And he's been falling because of all this uncertainty. So, in like the tenth round, he's been falling too. I'll smash that because he was like up to like ADP eighty. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just got also distracted. My big dog from all day finally just filled. I got the seventh pick. <laughs> nice, nice. I got Tyreek Hill, and yeah, this sucks. Is it a live draft? Live draft. We just oh, started. Is, yeah, yeah. This has turned into a, a draft pod now. No, no, no need. I was just <laughs> just mentioning. I, if you yeah. saw me on Twitter today, I've been begging people to join this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Of course, of course, it fills now. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I'm managing my variance. I'm willing to accept additional variance on individual rosters because I know I'm going to manage it at, through my portfolio as a whole. Um, that's. And that's primarily, that's not like a cash game mentality. That's a big field con, you know, GPP style contest mentality where I'm looking for the top heavy payouts. I'm looking to catch lightning in a bottle. I'm looking for, you know, Tyree kill two years ago where we didn't know how long he was going to get, get suspended. And then he ended up playing the whole year. Uh, I'm looking for that. Um, I'm looking to take advantage of the uncertainty and leverage the unknowns as opposed to shying away from them. So definitely understand that strategy. I can't fault you for taking that strategy because you know you're separating yourself from the field right you're, you're taking a contrarian view and that's really really big to do yeah so i don't i don't think many entries even in a contest like DraftKings millie where there's 120 130,000 i don't even know how many entries there are but um 130,000 entries there might be you know like a hundred of them and they might be all mine that have watson on a two quarterback build so 
you know, if, if it happens, it happens and I'm immediately differentiated. If not, then no, I mean, and you're not really risking that much anyway. It's like one of another underdog. He doesn't even get drafted sometimes. So like a 16 to 18 round pick, what are you really losing? Exactly. And the, the, what you're gambling on is your roster construction. If you go by that, because now, you know, I'm getting potentially a top five quarterback in one of my last two picks that means I'm not spending a fifth, sixth, seventh on a quarterback where I can take upside on wide receivers. Um, but obviously the intrinsic variance associated with that particular situation is, is extreme. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Like it's kind of like the Tyree kill situation a couple of years ago when everyone thought the tournament was over because Tyree kill 12th round pick got, uh, was, you know, getting drafted so early and, then he played and he was like a fourth round pick, but then he got hurt that year anyway. So like, yeah. and you have to, you can't forget there's so many different variables that can affect these things that we're not, we're not future predictors, right? We don't know what's going to happen. Variance, baby. Know it, love it, manage it, leverage it. <laughs> <laughs> I got to trademark that. Yeah, I love it. Uh, sweet. Anything else with managing variance? Embrace it. We're Take in a game it. that you really want to embrace it. And there's one more thing. I actually, you know, I was watching like a live stream of, you know, one of the content providers. And they were talking about how they're, you know, kind of talking about things we're talking about, about you know, managing risk and leveraging re- or variance. Sorry, I say risk because I'm a finance nerd. Um, Same thing. Leveraging variance because, you know, uh, as well. But they were talking about they're trying to maximize variance on late running backs, which is the least variant position with the least highest floor yeah. and the least highest ceiling. So, like, we, as we talked about, you know, the lowest variance position is running back. And you really want to, you know, capitalize on, you know, the better players that, you know, are going to give you true production. Because even those late, like we talked about, too, in a playoff format, you know, let's say Joe Mixon gets hurt. Smush Perrine ain't going to be, you know, your workhorse three down back for those three weeks. It's just, it's not happening. But if mm-hmm. Cooper Cup gets hurt, Deshaun Jackson will be hurt probably by that point. Van Jefferson <laughs> could be wide receiver two on that team. Exactly. Exactly. Manage the variance or leverage the variance where it is most pertinent. And obviously that is wide receiver and tight end. Exactly. Dope. My cat even agrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Shout out to your cat. <laughs> uh, cool. The last thing I know, this has gone on a lot longer than I thought, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, I, I actually, I do want to spend some time on this subject, and that's big. Oh, I got management. nothing but time, man. Yeah, we're not going to. We're passionate about this. We want to help you guys. <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to skip over bankroll management because it is extremely important. How really your bankroll management is going to depend on a few factors. One, obviously your bankroll Two, your comfort level with variance. You know, I just talked about a couple extremes. Um, I'm willing to do that because obviously I've, I've built up the bankroll to be able to accept that variance. If you're like you alluded to earlier, you know, if you're a casual who's thrown in 20 drafts, like you're probably not going to take Deshaun Watson on any team. Like you just don't have the, the bankroll to accept that variance. Um, and this is kind of the same mindset as like MME versus single entry and three max. Like you're going to accept a little bit more variance if you're throwing 150, you know, handball. I'm not going to call them balls of shit, but if you're, if you're throwing 150 lineups, um, because we are entering them smartly, if you're throwing 150 lineups into a contest versus three, 
you're obviously going to have a little bit more variance uh, acceptance level um, on those. And the same thing for best ball, like you're maxing contests, you're, you're throwing in three, 400 entries, you know, typically I'm around the 250 best ball lineups over the past three or four years. Um, this year I'm looking to increase that a little bit. So if you're, if you're taking these shots, obviously you're going to accept more variance on individual rosters than, um, if you were only drafting, you know, 10, 15, 20 teams. Yeah. And, and, or you could be a psycho and you have Deshaun Watson on all your teams. You know, you, you, you can, you know, you play to your level of risk really is how you want to yeah. approach it. My personal habit pattern is I want to have a bankroll, particularly for best ball to where I can put in a minimum of a hundred rosters into a particular contest buy-in so if i'm if i'm playing the DraftKings millie 20 dollar buy-in i want to have at least two grand ready set aside to for that contest i want to have at least 100 bullets um at a particular buy-in you know that's easy to do too on DraftKings, where you know they do have the three dollar 20 max so super easy to do you know casuals anybody can put together 60 bucks and throw in 20 entries at a three dollar price point and you know um, the reason I like that contest so much is you know that it's a level playing field because everybody is going to be throwing uh, 20 entries into it at maximum. A little bit different when you think of like casuals playing the weekly Millie Maker um, in DFS on DraftKings where you know over half the field is throwing 150. And if you're throwing three lineups like that severely degrades your chances. But that's one particular tournament uh, that I think is a, is a good tournament particularly for casuals um, to where you can enter at a level playing field with everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I max everything. So I don't play cash until <laughs> later. Like I know, you know, the, the higher stakes, the pros, they, uh, they wait till later. Like you were saying, um, that's when I do cash. Cause that's, you know, I'm trying to just build high floor lineups and just trying to make as much money as I can. But right now I'm trying to embrace as much risk as I can. And, you know, be outside the box and, you know, hopefully get more situations like Daryl Henderson happen or, you know, like another one that just came up is like um, James Washington just asked for a trade. Like that's a good pickup to take. What if he goes to like the saints? What if he goes to the chiefs? Like this, that's a high upside situation there. Yeah. Love it. The last thing I really want to talk about bankroll management is really take a look at the drafts that you have done so far, or if you get to a, you know, a point where you're halfway through your bankroll that you have allocated for this season and take a look at your rosters and take note of, you know, be honest with yourself, take note of how much variance you're accepting on individual rosters over that time period. And if you are shying away from taking risks, if you're shying away from variance, if you're looking to manage it, I would highly recommend going down in buy-in. And I would, what that will do is basically lessen the load, lessen, you know, take away that thought in the back of your mind where I can't blow this and give you more freedoms to be a little bit more creative and accept a little bit more variance on individual rosters, which is what you want in large field contests. Yeah, I um, definitely don't jump into the shark waters right away. Like build yourself up. If you're a newer player, play on like drafters, you know, get a feel for how the game is played. You know, this is not DFS. 
this is not redraft. This is you're building a, a portfolio every time you're building a draft. You know, you you have to really learn, get deep this and deep into this, and like learn the nuances of building. You know, a structurally sound roster. Yeah, and check out my course prior to jumping in. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Shameless plug. Uh, I'm excited no. about this course. I'm I'm writing right now, man. Uh, I'm excited for it as ball. well, man. Yeah, so we'll see. Hopefully, it's well received. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about I'm excited about doing you know expanding their horizons and and getting into this best ball stuff and and being able to do these pods with you. And this is I'm excited about this season. So yeah, man, I love drafting. I love talking about drafting. Like if anyone ever has questions, reach out to me on Twitter. Send me a DM. Like I'll you want me to rate your roster and tell you where you went wrong? Like, you know, I'll help you. I'm here to help. I like, literally, I love this stuff. You don't understand. Like after I'm done with work, I'm literally drafting day to night, uh, lunch break, taking a draft morning. I got an hour do a draft. Like this is, you know, my passion. So if you need help, you want to ask questions, bounce ideas off me, come to me, please. I'm here. Come to me, young one. Yeah. Same, same. You know, my DMS are open on Twitter. You know where to find me on discord uh that is gonna do it for our little four-part mini series on best ball here and we are gonna see you guys next time with the man himself jm thanks for hanging out with us guys pavel dude thanks for joining me on these first four pods look forward to much more goodness coming out of you at owos brother yeah man and this quick draft update we're not doing too bad we're going to zero rb build very running back heavy room uh, we started off with Tyree Kill. We went Waller, Mike Evans, DJ Moore, and then Josh Jacobs in the fifth. And uh, hopefully we're about to take Dak here. So we're going with that zero running back approach. This is what we talked about. Zig when others zag. That's where the value is. That's, you know, how I've got to build my roster. And now I'm going to have to really focus on the running backs going forward. So, like, you know, I just talked about how I love going running back early. Couldn't do that here. Now I have to adapt. Let's go, baby. Good luck in Let's that big do dog. Hey, good luck. Have a good one. <laughs> Can't wait to talk to you guys soon. I you know, love this. All right, brother. Take it easy. Take it easy. Bye.